four hours. We are four hours away from USA-Canada gold medal rematch. U.S. trying to hang on to the gold that they won in Pyeongchang. Meanwhile, Canada, who had won four straight before that, looking to steal back the glory. And we are just four hours away. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk smack about Canada. We're going to talk to a legendary U.S. player and get all the goods ahead of that game. Fitz, I'm nervous. I'm, my, my sphincter is puckering well in advance of this game tonight. That's how I felt when you said four hours, because I thought I missed something, and it was a four-hour edition of Spain and Fitz, and I'm like, whoa, I did not anticipate that happening. So, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm you suddenly You timed relaxed, the coffee so. wrong. You're going to miss at least a full segment. I'm going to uh, have to pee multiple times now for four hours. Too many tinkles. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get to hating on... Canada. We're going to try to find the worst things about Canada at some point. Uh, it's going to be tricky. I think they're too nice and syrup is not appropriate for every meal. Or is it? We'll get into that. But we got to talk about the breaking news of the day. So it's time for Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, Don Vanatta and others reporting on the Cowboys paying almost two and a half million dollars in a settlement to cheerleaders of the team after voyeurism allegations against a senior team executive, and not just any executive, but Richard Dalrymple, Cowboys longtime senior VP for public relations and communications, right-hand man to Jerry Jones, in fact, had been known to uh, do propaganda and, and, and lobbying writers to elect Jerry Jones to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was essentially a very high-profile fixer per Don Van Atta, somebody who probably knew a whole lot about Jerry Jones and about the team, after the allegations that he had used his key card to go in the back entrance of a cheerleaders only locker room and had been seen videoing and taking photos of them on his cell phone and that they have confronted him. He essentially ran away and now later claims he just tried to go in to use the restroom, realized they were in there and left immediately. They claim they heard the door close and minutes later saw his arm reached around a half panel videoing them. And that there was also a restroom right across the hallway outside of the cheerleaders locker room that he could have gone in. Six years later, we hear about it now. We also hear that he alleged to have he was alleged to have taken upskirt photos of Jerry Jones' daughter, Charlotte Jones Anderson, a team senior VP, during the draft on a live stream. And the fan who first witnessed that posted about it that night, that moment, sent a message to her, posted it on Facebook, um, actually signed affidavits and legally went through the process of, of you know, cl- clarifying and, and, and alleging that what he had seen had happened. And others backed him up on that. And then six years later, as ESPN starts doing some investigating and asking questions about it, Dalrymple retires. He thanks the team. He thanks Jerry Jones' family. No one on the team acknowledged his years of service. No one mentioned his retirement on the website. And he claims that the retirement had nothing to do with ESPN's investigation. But Fitz, uh, you combine all of that together, and it certainly feels like the Cowboys said, we're just going to go ahead and pay our way out of this, keep him around, do nothing. And it wasn't until ESPN arrived with the spotlight that he finally was forced out. There are so many layers to the wrongs in this process, and it's interesting to me, Sarah, because all I kept thinking about when I saw the report break was a conversation you and I had had 
uh, quite a while ago when the Washington football team at the time was asked, uh, being asked to turn over so many documents to Congress. And we talked about the fact that once the skeletons are, are, are released from Daniel Snyder's closet, will he then in that process also start throwing other people under the bus? And I think what so many fans have done is compartmentalize the thought that, hey, my favorite team doesn't have these issues. What you have here is, I mean, a settlement that's attached to, you know, take a shot if you've heard this before of late, a non-disclosure agreement mm-hmm. that prevents anybody from talking about it. And as a result, this just, this was never out there. And you you think about what has happened in the conversation around the last uh, six months to a year with Washington, and now you see this with the Cowboys, and it's it's a reminder, like, how many more instances are we going to see around the NFL of this? And for the Cowboys to, at this point, be so quiet, I understand why NDAs exist, but I also understand that there's a real problem, much like with the conversation we've had regarding the Washington Commanders. There's a real problem with who NDAs sometimes protect, and in this situation, uh, the Dallas Cowboys can continue to hide, or at least attempt to hide any information about it, but this is is disgusting make no bones about it yeah and i think that's why when we talked about washington and the round table discussion they had at congress two members of the house of representatives urged the team and the nfl at large to release people from ndas that would prevent them from talking about workplace toxicity sexual harassment um that they want full transparency and i think that that applies across not just the nfl but other leagues and other companies and corporations um that kind of transparency, allowing people to talk about the wrongdoings, is really the only way to prevent it from, from continuing and to keep it from happening in the future, and also to really understand the scope of the problem. You know, the reason that we all talked about them not being willing to put the hammer down on Dan Snyder in Washington is because they don't want people looking in their houses. The more houses that we discover have this, which I would guess is probably all of them in some capacity, the more difficult it is for the NFL to turn a blind eye to it. These people are very rich. They are very privileged. They are very used to getting what they want, prioritizing their own needs, their own finances over anybody else. And by simply throwing money at the problem and making it go away, while not making him go away, and him being Dalrymple, the the accused party here, um, they get to continue to behave in what manner best serves them. And Fitz, as much as this is currently a very serious problem for the NFL, as the stories are piling up across different teams and issues, it's a, it's a story across every sport, every league, every level, from youth to professional. It happened across the NWSL. It happens across swimming and gymnastics and collegiate sports, where coaches, front offices, owners, all claim to not know about something until a spotlight is finally shined on by a whistleblower or a reporter, and then all of a sudden it's, this is very important to us, this is a priority, we care very much. But as it turns out, we've known for a long time that they've known about it. And Don Van Atta was on ESPN Radio today talking about whether or not the, the Cowboys were transparent at all with those who were looking into the details of this incident. They have uh, a lot of data. They have this the security key card that Dalrymple used, there's a timestamp on the precise moment that he entered that locker room. And then they have video cameras, surveillance cameras, as you point out, in the hallway that are also timestamped. So Dalrymple claims he got into that dressing room. As soon as he found that there were women in there, he left immediately. Uh, the cheerleader that made the accusation that found him said it was several minutes after they heard a door open and shut. Uh, when they actually saw Dalrymple. So the difference between a few seconds, which 
Dalrymple says he was in there, and several minutes that the cheerleader said he was in there can be determined with that data that the Cowboys had had come up with in their investigation, and they refused to turn it over to us. So to your point, it's a very good one about transparency. There was not complete transparency with us uh, in the findings um, that they had in this very thorough investigation that they say that they conducted. They didn't turn over that data to us. And here's the problem, Fitz. You can't do nothing at the time when it's reported to you. You can't then say when it's finally public that it's important and you care and you want to do something about it while simultaneously helping obfuscate what actually happened. If you're not going to be transparent about all the information and evidence you have, if you're going to protect Dalrymple, which is another problem with the NDAs, not only that it silences the women, but they are most often used in agreement with the accused party that you cannot slander them or talk about them afterwards, even in the even for the someone like the Cowboys. So you're protecting the person who has done wrong while re-victimizing the victims of it by by believing that just giving the money will will fix everything you start thinking about the grand portion of this that we haven't even covered as much and that's that charlotte jones anderson as you yeah. mentioned earlier if if jerry jones is willing to protect somebody that works with him overdoing the right thing for somebody that is taking upskirt pictures of his daughter in the war room during the draft like that just speaks to how broken the entire culture system is and, frankly, how dev- devalued the women are that are around it. I just I don't know how you fix that level of mentality because I, I don't think a lot of fathers would be okay with keeping somebody in the building that did that to their child. I just right. I, I have a hard time understanding it. Well, I said that earlier uh, with Canty and Shay, is if even Jerry Jones won't do something in that case, then then what hope do we have for other teams and executives doing anything ever? It's Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, it's time to blame Canada for everything, anything, whatever we can figure out to dislike about (laughs) Canada. It's coming up next. That's right. It's time to blame Canada. America's hat. The, uh, The attic above a really good party. Oh. Yeah, or I, I guess I, America's Canada's wing. Whatever, I don't know, however like, you see it. I kind of like I like hats though. Like so, like sometimes a good like a good hat can be a good thing, right? A nice top hat, for example. Agreed. You know, like, but okay. a hat is just an accessory oh, to the okay. main event, which That's is America, fair. especially <laughs> tonight. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel eighty. We are mere hours away from USA Canada women's hockey gold medal match. A replay of what was one of the greatest sporting events I've ever witnessed. That is not hyperbole. I was crawling around on my couch like a lemur. I was so stressed out. It went into overtime. It went into a shootout. Jocelyn Lamoureux's Oops, I Did It Again, that was the name of her shootout shot that eventually gave them gold, uh, was replayed a billion times. And we're back at it. We're back at it four years later in Beijing as the U.S. and Canada meet tonight. And we are compiling a list of the five worst things about America's hat. Uh, I realize a lot of you like Canada. I realize a lot of you like Canadian people. Today's not the day for that, okay? We're not going to say they're nice. We're not going to talk about Tim Hortons, which is, as far as I've heard, just a glorified Duncan. That's mm-hmm. that's all That's all mm-hmm. I've heard about that. Preach preach there's a lot of other sauces and condiments besides syrup let's not get too excited about what amounts to just runny sugar okay I mean, and, and maine has better maple syrup than canada Agreed. does anyway so better maple syrup in the states 
Uh, not to mention, we can't even go to Canada and get it because we're still, I believe, prevented from traveling there. Uh, so let us know, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, what are some of the worst things about Canada? Uh, we're going to put together a list. We're going to unveil it later as we continue to build toward what I am extremely excited for. We're also going to talk to Angela Ruggiero, four-time Olympic medalist, gold medalist in 98 with the U.S. hockey team to set us up for this genuine rivalry. Now, Fitz, another interesting aspect of this incredible rivalry is the number of Canadian women and American women from the two hockey teams who have crossed enemy lines, enemy blue lines, I guess, to find love. And as of a couple years ago, there have been at least three marriages and two babies resulting from this rivalry. Megan Duggan, one of the great American ice hockey players of all time, is married to a Canadian. And when these two teams met earlier in this, uh, in this uh, Olympics, uh, she posted about the mood around the house with her and Jillian Apps, who was a three-time Canadian Olympic gold medalist, her wife. And she said, for all those asking, yes, we are staying up to watch the big game tonight. No, we will not be speaking for the next few hours. Loser gets up with the kids at 7 a.m. So they had a bet on the game. I followed up tonight. I asked her what things are looking like tonight. We'll see if she gets back to me. But I'd love if they have another bet uh, where the loser has to wake up while while the winner presumably chugs uh, Budweiser's and eats hamburgers while the other is crying into her poutine. Yeah, no, and by the way, nobody wants Canadian beer over American beer either. And, and poutine. Molson Schmolson. Abs- absolute trash. I mean, like, uh, French fries were not meant to have weird gravy on them. We it's don't just, need gravy just, on our fries. What yeah, are we doing? No, we, we don't need gravy. Gra- just cheese? Fine. Cheese fries? Great. Gravy? We don't need gravy on anything, to be honest. Maybe your mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Take it or leave it. I'm not a gravy person. Yeah, but uh, there is this interesting moment to me of as heated as I think about couples that I've ever met that where one's, for example, a Michigan fan and the other, other is an Ohio State fan. You know, you could talk about sports rivalries, but when you actually represented your country in the Olympics and then the two teams are playing each other, I don't know how you handle that. Like, right. that, that's a different level. And, and yes. frankly, national pride, and, and, you know, I'll say this uh, as a compliment to Canada and then apologize for it in a second, but, you know, <laughs> the, the amount of national pride in general that they have in Canada, I think, is one of the coolest things about it. And, you know, you see Maple Leaf... Uh, drawings and and icons everywhere like it is it is part of the culture there and people wear their you know team canada gear year round right like so you think about that level of national pride and then you bring it into the relationship i don't know how you survive that like you can't you can't ignore it you can't just Mm -hmm. say yes dear on that one like you're not going to be able to like just get through that you're going to have to take a side and it's the wrong side so i don't know and and what about the kids caught in the middle I mean, are they, are they the, wearing are they wearing maple leaves on top and American flag zubas on the bottom? Do they, are they, do are the they kids eating poutine like, on their hamburgers? What's happening? Maybe they become like fans of uh, Team Mexico. That way, like you've got the entire wow. North America. There related, you go. And, and nobody has to get in the middle of We're the fight. We're not rooting like, for either of you, moms. <laughs> That'd be cold-blooded. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. Hey, really quickly, I wanted to ask you, I was looking at some of the... uh, I've been really into the Olympics. I've been watching them well behind everybody else because I've been quite busy, you know, uh, gallivanting around the Super Bowl and such. But I've been catching up every single night watching them. And there's there's another scandal on top of everything else. There was a scoreboarding score snafu earlier. Uh, There were ski jumpers who had had their uniforms confirmed and approved and then shortly before competing, rejected and they were disqualified and sent home heartbroken after working a lifetime for competition and then having those same exact uniforms rejected. Julia Marino, snowboarder for the U.S., who was able to perform 
um, previously in, I believe it's called slope style. Um, and for, for the slope style of her competition and silver medal. And then when she got to the big air, the same exact board she was using suddenly was, uh, proved to be, uh, un disallowed because of the Prada logo on it, which is not one of the official sponsors. They wanted her to use a marker to, to cover up the logo, but the logo's molded to the board, and you can't have anything on the bottom of the snowboard except for basically wax. So it was dangerous. She went out to try to compete and see if she could test it out, and had to pull herself out of that competition because of their of their um, their ruling. And then you've got the Russian skater already competing for a name that does not exist because the country has been so tainted by cheating scandals, who tests positive for steroids and is allowed to compete tonight as the favorite. Fitz, my question for you is, when we are being asked to invest in something that many of us love, but that's involving sports we don't know a lot about, and athletes we're just learning about, that's happening 11 time zones away, do they risk losing people's investment if we're not certain that these are clean competitions and the rules are being applied consistently? A thousand percent, especially when it's also taking place in China, and, and that's an uncomfortable part of the conversation right. for people, too. So you add all of these different moments in, and you know, figure skating particularly, I think that with the with the Russian favorite uh, being allowed to compete despite taking, she says, unknowingly uh, some heart medication, you know, you have to, to ask yourself, okay, what are we supposed to believe here? Because figure skating is one of the biggest draws for so many people. Casuals come to the Winter Olympics to see it, to watch it, and there's this concept of, like, fair treatment and all of it that everybody's going to be competing, and, and the, the biggest sort of hold-your-breath moment is for these incredible athletic jumps, can they land it? If you feel like... It, it's all being fixed one way or the other. Now, all of a sudden, it, it feels like no matter what happens on the ice, they're not really deciding it there. People right. are quick to suddenly sell out if that's going to be the conversation. Like The Olympics are about the stories and the athletes and the journey. And if any of that feels like it has been fixed along the way or is not on the up and up, it's an easy reason for people to tune out. Yeah, because it's heartbreaking enough to see someone's life's work end in disappointment if it's fairly competed. Mm. But if you feel like it's been stolen from them, which is how a lot of people feel about the, the figure skating right now. It's it's compounded. By the way, the IOC president offered U.S. figure skaters Olympic torches as holdover gifts as they await a resolution on the doping case and that's haven't so yet nice. gotten the medals that they have earned. Whether that's silver or gold, we're not even sure yet. It's a real mess. Coming up, speaking of messes, the MLB lockout. We're going to talk about it. Coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Now, let's be honest. At this point, I know a lot of people haven't necessarily been focused on every intricacy of the negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association to try and get games played this year. But Sarah's focused because, damn it, she's got a vacation to go to right. in Arizona and like that's coming up. Like we're we're running out of time. So you know we figured we get some expertise on whether or not she's going to get the trip she wants from our buddy ESPN Major League Baseball insider Jeff Passan joining us now. And uh, Jeff, you you were uh, you were throwing out some fiery words on the twitters earlier uh, today. You were fired up about some of the concepts around this. But let me start with the easiest thing here. Uh, how long is this going to go in your mind? Well. Um... If there's not a deal, Jason, by February 28th, Major League Baseball has told the players that we will not have games on opening day, March 31st. So 
I would like to believe that these two sides, which are meeting tomorrow uh, for, I think, the sixth time now since the lockout started, uh, understand that the clock is ticking and that while there's, I wouldn't call it an even split, I I actually do think oddly and and certainly different than the past, that the public is more on the player side than it has been. Well, that's the case right now. I think the second the games uh, start being canceled or postponed, uh, fans are going to turn on everyone. And uh, they're just going to be angry because whatever the uh, moral, uh, I guess, backbone of the player's argument, uh, you know, we're getting paid less, we're the product, et cetera, et cetera, it um, doesn't matter when games aren't being played. If games aren't being played, fans get angry. And understandably so, because however righteous your cause may be, if the righteousness of your cause is inconveniencing uh, the joy of my life, which is what's going to happen to the majority of people who don't get to watch the baseball that they want to watch, then uh, I'm not against uh, the league. I'm not against the players. I'm against everyone. So, uh, th- this is a, a crazy game of chicken we've got going on right now between baseball and the Players Association, and I'm still waiting to see who blinks. Yeah, I mean, it reminds us, of course, of a lot of the negotiations that went down during the COVID-shortened season where there were a lot of leaks, mm-hmm. there were a lot of attempts to turn the public against one side or the other. We've we've been told that the, the MLB and MLBPA will meet in the afternoon tomorrow for another session of talks looking so to make did some... Did you just say the MLB? I'm just sorry. I was reading it. Uh, I should not have read that. Otherwise, I would just say MLB, much like I say RBI instead of RBIs. But we're not going to get into that because I believe you disagree with me on that one. Moving on, Jeff Passan. <laughs> what is the biggest sticking point, or what are one or two of the biggest sticking points, as far as you've heard, between the two sides? I mean, the biggest sticking point is is a very simple concept. What's the biggest sticking point in any negotiation between? Uh, two parties that are trying to get a collective bargaining agreement. It's money. It's always money. It always will be money. It doesn't matter if it's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, uh, any sport that has a union, uh, that union is going to battle with the league to try and get the largest percentage of uh, the the revenues that it possibly can. Uh, But if we're talking like fundamental issues, Major League Baseball is in a really interesting position because remember the, Lockout is the first work stoppage in baseball in more than 26 years since the strike that canceled the 1994 World Series. And uh, during that time, uh, NBA's had lockouts uh, and and strikes. Uh, NHL has had work stoppages. NFL has had it. And so things, you know, you see labor peace for more than a quarter century in Major League Baseball. You think, you know, everything's got to be okay. Well, what's happened during that time is Historically, the MLBPA at one time was seen as the strongest union in the country, not just in sports, but in the country because of all the gains it made. Uh, in that last quarter century, Major League Baseball has made enormous gains on the financial side, and players are tired of it. They want to get money back that they feel like is owed to them. They, they want their salaries to stop going backward, which they've done for four consecutive years now. It's not just COVID that brought salaries down. Baseball salaries were shrinking even before that. So for, for the players, it's uh, a few things. Getting players paid younger. Uh, they have the lowest minimum uh, salary in all of the, the four major North American professional sports. 
Um, they they want to stop tanking, uh, and they're trying to incentivize that through mm. both the draft lottery and other measures uh, where if you lose too much, your draft picks get worse, and if you win, they potentially get better. Uh, and they want to stop service time manipulation. You, Sarah, are uh, as familiar with that concept as anybody because service time manipulation got yep. you another year of Chris Bryant for Gut Fan. And I'm curious. I'm sorry. I know this is your show, but I want to turn <laughs> this on you for a second. Um, Chris Bryant was one day short, one day out of the 172 necessary to be a free agent a year earlier. As a Cubs fan, were you glad that they did that to Chris Bryant because you got to see him for another, well, half year it turned out, but another year? Or is it just such a, you know, such a morally... Yeah, um, I mean, of course, that, the result that, was that, good, like, but the process... About it. Yeah, the process was flawed. The result was great. We, we, we were able to have him, but that's not how it should work. They shouldn't have the control yeah. and power over that uh, when, when it's an obvious situation where they're manipulating it for their own benefit at the expense of a player, particularly understanding the restrictions financially and otherwise on minor leaguers. So, no, I, I would never – I'm almost always against the man. Uh, well, and let, but I'm let's sorry, sit there for a second. I'm going yeah, 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 yeah. to ask you a question about that then. Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. Not men. Uh, not men. Just, the, the man. man. Nobody's the man. ever called yeah. me the man <laughs> at any point. Past yeah. uh, we're talking to Jeff I mean, Passan. To, be the, man, to be the man, to be the man, you got to beat the man, bitch. You know that. He's yeah, working which on is it. also why no one's ever called me the man. Like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm well aware. Uh, when billionaires take on millionaires, we joke about this all the time whenever these sort of labor things happen, but it usually feels like the billionaire wins. Why is this going to be any different? It might not. I mean, the, the strength of Major League Baseball's position right now uh, is in the cards that it has. It's the one that's giving things away to the players, and what it's getting back right now uh, is uh, playoffs expanding from 10 to 14. That's what the league is asking for, and the players at this point have agreed to expand to playoffs, but want only a 12-team format, and they want to get advertising on uniforms. So patches on the uniforms, decals on the helmets, things like that. Uh, and, and that would be worth a pretty big chunk of change. Uh, the, the thing with the players right now, though, is they're concerned that when you take the you know quarter billion or so dollars, or I guess you know 150 million a year, the general estimate for the advertising, and 100 million a year uh, plus for the playoffs. Uh, when you take that money and give a quarter billion dollars every year to owners, how much of that are they going to reinvest into players? What players are looking for at this point, Jason, is guaranteed money coming back, whether that's in a higher minimum salary uh, or, or whether that's in a bonus pool, for example, for players who have not reached arbitration, which you do after your third year in the big league. So they're trying to get guarantees back. What, what the league is more interested in is keeping those guarantees down, but trying to uh, coerce or induce teams into not manipulating players. So, uh, what the union wants right now is for players who perform well, whether it's through awards like Rookie of the Year or just through statistical achievements and wins above replacement, to be able to earn a full year of service. So if your team manipulated you, it doesn't matter if you showed out. If you played well, then you get that full year of service. What the league is proposing at this point is that if you bring up a player for a full year and he performs then, you get extra draft picks. 
So the idea is to induce teams, to incentivize teams to do that. The problem is, uh, as we've seen, Major League Baseball teams aren't exactly operating in good faith at all times. And, and what, what's happened is that players have seen that again and again and again and again. They're angry. They don't trust the owners. They don't trust the teams. And because of that, they are being extremely difficult to deal with right now. And honestly, it's tough to blame them. Hey, Pass, before we let you go, uh, when spring training is supposed to get underway, were you, uh, were you a Cactus League or a Citrus League? I'm wherever the bosses send me, Miss Ben. So are you not going out there if there's no baseball? No, no. As much as uh, I don't like the fact that I'm at spring training right now, uh, I've been married for 15 years. <laughs> and this year was the first time I ever spent Valentine's Day with my wife. Aw, schmoops. Oh, look at that. Schmoops. Well, I'm headed out there in a couple of weeks, even if there is no baseball. We're just calling it adult spring break, and we're going to find some other things to do. But I'm sad that you won't be out Honestly, there. Honestly, <laughs> uh, that, that sounds like a glorious time. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 wish, I wish you, but, but more than that, I wish, uh, I wish Scott Sale the best. <laughs> Passive, we appreciate your time, my friend. As always, thanks for joining us. Uh, happy belated Valentine's. Go back to celebrating, and thanks for giving us all the updates. Thank you, sweetheart. Take care. <laughs> Coming up, uh, you know what? To be the man, you got to beat the man. Well, the Rams did that, and uh, they celebrated. But in the process of celebrating, they got some very necessary advice from Tom Brady. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. One of my least favorite phrases in all the world is act like you've been there before. Because, frankly, it takes so much work for the best of the best to get to the top, to the top of the mountain that I'm all in for somebody celebrating in the most glorious, absurd fashion possible. <laughs> and we had some of that today in L.A., Sarah, uh, as the Rams gave us their parade, which also means we got to hear from players like Matt Stafford. And I think it's amazing Matthew Stafford out there, you know, getting his, speaking his, and obviously had had a few drinks, which led to Tom <laughs> Brady tweeting him and saying, hey, uh, Stafford, just mix in some water. Trust me on this. I, I love <laughs> that moment from Brady essentially you know, reminding us all that, yeah, he had too much fun last year. But I also, for me, watching these parades and seeing the way everybody celebrates, there's so much joy to it that it, I think it's one of the coolest things about the Super Bowl process. Yeah, I mean, I think when I saw Frat Stafford trending, I knew that he was probably <laughs> having a pretty decent time. Um, not as good of a time, potentially, as Aaron Donald, who spent most of the parade, based on the photos and videos I've seen, shirtless. Uh, Donald's a vibe all day long, uh, enjoying himself very much. Uh, and my personal winner is Les Snead. Uh, you know that I've been all in on <laughs> the Rams' approach to finding value in free agency, proven commodities, and they've been willing to give up draft picks and the potential that those draft picks can have in, 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 in favor of the right now. And he is wearing a shirt today at the parade, Les Snead, the GM of the Rams, with his own face on it, uh, black and white, and in honor of a very famous Michael Jordan meme, it says, F them picks. Instead of <laughs> F them kids... F them picks, referring, of course, to all the picks that he gave up in order to create the team that he now uh, celebrated with today as champions. So well, good. 
I love the acknowledgement there that, you know, and it's funny to me because we always hear people talking about keeping the outside noise outside, right? And I'm not going to succumb to it and blah, blah, blah. And then you have moments like this where you're reminded that there are so many times that they hear it. And, you know, when we talked to Robert Woods on the show and asked about, you know, the pressure and he said, no, nobody's really feeling it. We, we blocked that noise out pretty well. I love a GM coming out and making the statement like, look, I heard you and it worked, right? Like there's a a level of just brashness that I think you have to have. And, and sometimes cockiness is taken in the wrong way. And I, I think ego is taken in the wrong way in statements. And like, if you're less need, you, this is your day where you stand up and you're like, this is how I did it. It worked. And for all mm-hmm. the doubters that, that questioned it, there is a path that works for this Rams team. So sit down, shut up and watch us celebrate. Like I love the cockiness behind it. If you want to see some great shots from the photo, follow at Kara Henderson, Kara with a K, who is actually Kara Henderson Sneed, Les Sneed's wife. Her bio on Twitter is mortgage my future by going all in for Les Sneed, which is incredible. Obviously, playing off of Les's ability to mortgage their future by going all in uh, for the players that he wants, and it worked out with the Super Bowl. But she has great photos of all the players and wives and family members and, and the parade and everything else. And it's just, listen, I, I'm I'm tired of people grading parades uh, obviously, first of all, the Cubs was the best, uh, seventh largest <laughs> gathering of human beings in the history of the world. And that is not an exaggeration. Google it. But after that, y'all tie, you're all doing your best. Oh, LA is a weird place. It's crazy traffic. Uh, you know, we recreated a, a scene from the Californians on around the horde today because of people needing to get to, you know, the 110 South is closed. So you got to take Santa Monica to Pico to Alvarado to Sepulveda, get off by the Vons Pavilion. You know, I mean, it's a tough place to get involved so i'm i'm here for whoever showed up i'm here for whoever who watched it on tv uh it's it's a celebration man let's not take it so seriously let's not critique it spain and fitz on espn radio sarah spain jason fitz and i think you're so right about that just understanding the layout of different cities and the way different cities work like getting anywhere in la as you well know from having lived there is its own commitment its own unique (laughs) commitment so you know the concept of just everybody dropping something in the middle of the day to go to the parade that's just tougher in that city and also i don't think that uh, a parade necessarily has to be any indictment or statement of fandom in a city like that it's possible for fans to be absolutely in love with their team and not be able to make a, a parade mm-hmm. like I, I just I didn't go to a single these... Bulls parade growing up because my parents hate crowds and they're not sports fans so oh, I didn't even crazy. realize you could get in a car and go I was just watching them on TV like happy as a clam like didn't even realize that I could be there if I wanted to because that just wasn't how we did it in our house well I've, I've had so many discussions with my buddies in the past about like if huh, the, I can't imagine this scenario but the Raiders ever win a Super Bowl like I'm one that would immediately book a trip to, uh, to to Vegas and be like, hey, I am going to this parade. This just seems like the coolest thing in the world. But not uh, not many of my friends feel the same way about it. So, like, I don't think that it has to be a, a bigger statement. I do think it's funny. You mentioned Aaron Donald, too. Uh, I saw one uh, NFL player actually tweet earlier today that he's going to get random drug tests like 10 times in the next <laughs> month because he is – yoked like i mean yeah. we all know like yes. aaron donald's greatness but to see a, a a tackle that's just that i mean abs on abs on abs through every ounce of the perfect specimen that his body is i just i kept looking at it thinking that's not fair like aaron donald well, i mean he unbelievable. Had to do because he's so undersized as they well, say uh he's just not tall enough so he has to be wide enough i believe it might have been it was either canty 
or uh, or Bart Scott, who said he's the same height when he's lying down as he is standing up <laughs> because he's so thick. Um, the one thing I will criti- criticize uh, is not the number of fans who showed up, not all the fun that they were having, but their attempt to change the Hollywood sign to Ram's house. Yeah. As somebody pointed out, you got a lot of people who are in set design who are the best in the world at creating a visual in the land of angels in, in L.A. And somehow none of those people were assigned to change the Hollywood sign to Ram's house. Uh, it uh, it looks like at first I thought it said pantyhose. Then it looked like Ram's who's. And there are any number of other words that you could make out of what they tried to put in front of the Hollywood sign. Uh, none of them look like they spelled Ram's house. I, I also believe that it would be more appropriate to put "we're building" on there. One of our favorite expressions on the show. Like I uh, look, I I think it's great to go in and say, "Look, we won the Super Bowl, and this is now a Rams town." But that's something that takes time. And you know, I talked to Demarco about that uh, a couple of days ago. When you Demarco Far, when you start talking about what happens here, and you can see elementary school kids freaking out about the Rams now, but that doesn't mean that LA is suddenly a Rams town. Like I I think to the point we've had several times, and I realize this isn't the, the best best hot take radio way to approach it. I think it's going to take a little while to know exactly how this worked once we've seen the other Mm -hmm. side of this and how bad the Rams could be when they don't have the picks. And also, it's going to take a while to know the impact that this Super Bowl had because I think a whole young generation is now going to grow up Rams fans. I agree with you on the Super Bowl. I don't agree with you on how well it worked. They won a Super Bowl. And even if they struggle because they don't have picks in the coming years, it's worth it. You can ask any team. You can ask the Bengals, who are waiting on 30-plus years. You can ask my Bears, who haven't won one since I've been old enough to, to recognize that that's what was going on. I mean, any number of teams would be willing to give it up. That's fair, but I don't know that we'd all have that same balance in covering it. Speaking of balance, we'll go full NBA next. I don't know that transition. Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio. I'm telling you, someday we're going to turn the commercial breaks into their own uh, mm-hmm. podcast version of Spain and Fitz because it might not always be suitable for air, but it is always funny. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And after the last break, I feel like by tomorrow, this time, I'm going to be back to being a pescatarian. All right. Uh, <laughs> way, way too inside the, the weeds there. We need to get some uh, thoughts on all things NBA. So we're going to bring on one of our favorites, Adam Lefke, joining us. You can check out the Lefke Lefko. Show. Um, uh, what did I say? Lefko. Oh Lefke. My, God, I can, yeah. my bad, Adam. I'm an idiot. Lefko joining us. Uh, <laughs> you can check out the Adam Lefko show on Bleacher Report. I'm going to learn how to speak, too. Also, check him out, NBA and TNT, as always. Adam, we appreciate your time, man. Uh, I'm trying to figure out why the Celtics have been able to go on this run and get so good in this period. What's different about the Celtics now versus earlier in the season? Now, hold on, timeout. You're going to say one of our favorites and then hit me with a left key. Fit. <laughs> I'm not playing Honestly, that game. He like, also promised gonna, he would learn how to with talk. Some Boston Celtics talk. Like, no, bro. That's not well, how we do it. Th- this, this is real. Like, first of all, I'm I'm Anchorman. So if it's in front of me, I read it. And second of all, there's a reason that even on... What were y'all talking about on... in the commercial break? What was so good in the commercial break? Let's we talk were talking about, about how... Yeah, this, uh, this is fair. This is what, I mean, essentially, I'm a pescatarian, and I believe that uh, the circle of life is fine as long as the thing that you're going to kill and eat gets to have a good life until it dies, and then you eat it. And that's why I'm okay with eating fish, because they're swimming around, and they're living their lives, and all of a sudden they die, and then you yeah, eat them. Got- Fish farms, Sarah. Okay, saying? but they're still swimming around. They're not like chicken where they don't like get to turn around. And I, I was. This came because I was saying that the one thing I, I eat so much chicken 
that I always think I'm going to be able to make the transition and get rid of uh, eating animals because I'm such an animal lover. And then I realized no that way. like it's just hard. It's it's hard in life. It's hard for me to to make that switch. And so that 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 that's where we were during the break. And you know what, Fitz? And that's what the Celtics did at the top of the new year. <laughs> what they did was they changed their defensive philosophy completely. They went to switching on all positions. Marcus Smart missed like six games. He came back dynamic, like six rebounds, four assists, lots of steals. And then they add Derek White to solidify this. Tatum is playing defense. He was not really committing early in the year. It's back. Jalen Brown is there. And I like they, they got rid of a lot of the guys that they were trying out, and they're really going like seven, eight deep. And I think people need to realize, and I, I can't believe we made that transition from chicken Nailed farms it. and fish Nailed farms. It, that was really fun. Um, but I, I think the other thing is, too, is the coach needs to get credit. Ime right? Udoka deserves credit. He was with the Spurs. He was with the Sixers. He was with the Nets. All of those teams were really, really good. And he coached under Greg Popovich at USA Basketball. And in the Spurs and at USA Basketball, he coached this dude, Derek White. So I think, I think we also need to give credit to Brad Stevens for going, hey, man, we're going to rearrange this team to what my coach wants to do. Do I think that they can beat Giannis in the playoffs? No. Do I think that if Kevin Durant's playing, they could beat him? No. Do I think that they can beat Harden and Embiid? Probably not, even though they won by 48 points last night. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to look back at the beginning of the season when Yudoka was saying that they needed more effort and guys weren't showing up, and it was kind of like a shrug, like, is this guy just trying to, you know, pawn it off on his players? And then you look at the effort, they're second in the NBA in defense now, and that's been the difference. I mean, obviously, offensively, they figured out uh, a lot, and some of those moves they made at the trade deadline were big, but so much of it does feel like an effort play and a buy-in play. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that panned out for him for sure. I noticed you didn't mention the Bulls uh, when you were talking about teams that they might have to go through. Yeah, the she caught me. Uh, yeah, me. I'm just wondering if you uh, <laughs> if you forgot the MVP, DeMar DeRozan, the King of the Fourth, uh, and, and the like Bulls. Fifth. I, uh, you know. I would put him. I would put him fifth in MVP. And you what? know that's you know that's true. You can admit that too. Uh, I mean, listen, you got he's a great case first, for Joel Embiid, but I'm like, you could find four dudes to he's put in front of DeMar right now. not or Jokic either. Okay, Giannis has been selective. He's about to he's about to turn it on for the second half. He just had 50 points on 21 shots, so he's about to turn it on. This is about to get to the part of the now, season that he cares about now. I don't know about I Jokic. I think, to, to, to your point, though, like the fact that they're doing this and they don't have Lonzo and they don't have... Uh, I mean, I was going to say Patrick Williams, but they're they're missing yeah. uh, who am I? Levine. Caruso, Caruso, and Caruso's about to come back. Yeah, and the fact that DeRozan has been able to put this team on his back the last six games, I don't know if that's sustainable. It's probably not, but that's what a leader does, and that's what a true like dude going after a championship does. Uh, I think they're really fun. I think this All Star break is coming at the perfect time for the Bulls, uh, and I. I I think that they're going to be a real big problem if the top teams in the East have any injury problems. Like Pat Connaughton injury is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know about Harden's hamstring. Nets are a complete mystery. And the Bulls, if they can withstand these injuries and can be consistent, they're going to be – they could do what the Hawks did last year. You know, right. that's what it feels like. You mentioned uh, the Connaughton injury is uh, is concerning, and I, I'm just sitting here thinking: Have we given the Bucks enough credit this year? I mean, are we just so tired of of Milwaukee already that we're not giving them the shine they deserve? That's the story of that franchise. It seems like. I mean, 
I was rereading Mirren Fader's book about Giannis uh, because anytime that I feel really lazy, I like to read about Giannis <laughs> and then realize, yo, man, you can, you're capable of so much right. more. Or the any work by Mirren for that matter. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you're right. I read a sentence structure and I'm yes. like, I just wrote, whoa, in the teleprompter. What an idiot. Um, but yeah, like they barely even had Drew Holiday uh, in the beginning of the season. Uh, Chris Middleton was hurt most of the beginning of the season. When they've all played together, they were like 21 and 5. And there's been like three or four games since we had them that night, but they're dropping 50 balls. My my concern is it really is Brooke Lopez, and I know Serge came in and he had a nice block, but they what made the Bucks so dominant, which is also I think what needs to be talked about, which was what made the Lakers so dominant in the bubble, was they had three or four bigs that they with long wingspans that they could throw at any driving defender, and they had it last year, and I look and I think the team that has a right, that right now is actually the Suns. Um, and I don't mean to completely t- like you asked me why are the Bucks disrespected, and I changed it to the Suns, <laughs> which shows you that you're right. Yep, right. yep. I, I think the Bucks can win it all because Giannis. Okay, I'm sitting there last night next to Tracy McGrady and Dwayne Wade, and Giannis comes on, and they don't know that he dropped the 50 ball. Like the <laughs> producer told me, the stack guy goes, "Hey, it's Giannis's fourth 50 point game." I'm like, "Okay," they have no idea. He starts doing step-outs and mid-range and crossover, and they're hitting each other. Now, you can't see this at home, but they're hitting each other. And they're going, what? And they're looking at each other, and they're shaking their head. And it's the shake of the head of nobody's going to be able to stop that. And so yeah. that's, like, that's what Giannis can do, that no other team has a Giannis. And if Giannis is going to Giannis, you're going to get Giannis. Yeah, 100%. It is what it is. It Giannis what it Giannis. Uh, Adam Lefko from the Lefko Show on Bleacher Report. You also see him Tuesday nights on NBA on TNT. we got to let you go, but I wanted to quickly ask you, we were actually talking about you guys last night because we heard Tracy McGrady saying, you know, if you're Harden and you actually have a hamstring injury, what we're watching you do mm. in practice is the opposite of what you'd be doing on a tender hamstring. Do you think that there's any cleanup of a reputation happening there? That's how I read that, was if he comes right back, plays all-star, plays for the Sixers immediately, it just reinforces what we are already believe about him you know tanking his, his way out of the nets do you think that that's what's happening or just being extra careful if you're the sixers i think both things can be true right. i think he can have some tightness because the mri did show that there was some tightness and also if you're the sixers you're like hey listen we'd love to beat the celtics and bucks before the all-star break but it's really not that important take the three weeks be super healthy because mb just had an insane tear and he can't do that again like, there's going to have to be some games where he plays 30 minutes and you need to drop 40 and 10. And so I think both things can be true. Uh, from a Sixers, like, positive perspective, I actually think all these stories can actually really help James Harden. Because I think the fact that that story came out from, I think it was Woj, like the day of the trade, which was Harden is concerned about his public image. Hmm. Remember, Harden doesn't have an agent. Harden right. doesn't have a, like, a, a PR team. And so the fact that, in a way, if you take that as self-awareness, what I'm seeing on the other side from the Ben Simmons is I'm seeing constant messaging, constant articles coming out. I'm watching First Take, and Stephen A. is going, hey, if you text me about Ben Simmons, you don't want to talk, you can sit in the chair. And Harden doesn't have any of that. Right. And so I'm really curious because 
he is sitting there and probably very well aware. He clearly cares about history. We saw his reaction when he got top 75. We know that he probably cares about legacy. Uh, I, I wonder if this is one of those, there's a lot of pressure on him, and it could be beneficial in the long run. But that's my positive spin on it. We appreciate your time, your insight. Uh, I'll let you know how the pescatarian travels go for me. You know, maybe, maybe this is the Dude, time I went give... vegan for like a month. You can do it. I, like, do it, man. I have faith in you, Fitz. It's I, I, not I that hard. I Coffee and I'm... water is your friend. Yeah, it gets you through a lot. Listen that's to fair. Adam Lefke. Oh, my God. I knew yeah, that was the Lefke knows. You know what? I I got nothing but positive things to say about both of you. Follow him on Twitter. Watch him on the NBA and TNT. Adam Lefko, we appreciate you hanging out with us, my friend. Thanks. Pleasure. Have a good one. All right. We've coming up. We've got more news on the investigations in Dallas and all of the controversy around the Cowboys. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. There's always going to be drama when it involves the Dallas Cowboys, but this isn't the type of drama we're used to. And it raises serious questions about what's being prioritized and why, not just by the Cowboys, but by the NFL as a whole. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And the news we got today, uh, you know, is uh, the sort of story that we are becoming more and more used to seeing, unfortunately, out of the, the NFL as it now appears that the Cowboys paid, or it doesn't appear, the Cowboys did pay over $2.4 million to settle cheerleader voyeurism allegations against a senior team executive. And there are different types of executives. It's important to note that this senior team executive, uh, Richard Dahl, uh, I'm not even going to try. Dalrymple. There we go. Yeah. Uh, after the last segment, I'm worried about names. Uh, Richard Dalrymple. Uh, it's safe to just call him Richard. Yeah. Mm-hmm, the the right-hand man of Jerry Jones uh, was in the cheerleaders' locker room, crouched down as he was taking picture or video of the cheerleaders while they were changing. Not only that, but a fan also caught him on a live stream taking upskirt pictures of Jerry Jones' daughter when she's working for the team. And Sarah, I keep thinking about the number of allegations here, the fact that this was settled uh, involving non-disclosure agreements so that nobody would talk about it. And now what we get is just another reminder that at some point the NFL only prioritizes cleaning up their messes and more importantly to them, keeping their messes quiet. That's all they seem to care about. Yeah, and you know we've talked about this on the show so many different times, and I get it's not... It's it's naive to expect people to be if behave in a way that that's morally uh, clear or to behave in a way that's fair to their employees and respectful to women, but if you do it for no other reason than just to prevent the future fallout, then then do it for that, right? If you look at the number of people required to enable, empower, and cover up for those who do wrong, who will eventually be pointed the finger at when it is brought to light. Those people could save themselves all of that by just deciding that when someone behaves in this way, they don't deserve to be in that position any longer. And that could be the case with Larry Nasser. That could be the case with a head coach of a women's soccer team. That could be the case with uh, doctors and staff members at the collegiate or children's level. I mean, literally at every turn, people are given the opportunity when something is reported to act and their decision to cover it up to pay people off, to not, the Blackhawks are another great example, right? You decide to try to fight it for so long that by the time it finally comes to light, you are all implicit, and it is so much worse. So I guess the question is, 
Did this guy have something on Jerry Jones and the team? He was known as their fixer. He was their media gatekeeper. He lobbied football writers to elect Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones essentially imagined him to be almost part of the family. Is that all it is? That he was so close that he doesn't care if he's taking upskirt photos of your daughter? That he doesn't care if he's using keycard access to go into the cheerleaders-only locker room and allegedly filming them? And he doesn't care that it could come back to bite them when they decide to hide it instead of behaving as they should and fire him and hold him accountable. These are criminal acts, Fitz. These are not simply things you shouldn't do at work. And there's a spot for me where understanding that we live in a forgiving society, so often if an organization gets ahead of any of this, hey, this was discovered, this is what happened, this is who did it, this is how we're handling it. You, you come out and handle things that way. Mm-hmm. And while people may not uh, approve of what's happened, people will suddenly turn around and say, okay, the Cowboys get benefit of the doubt. They handled this the right way. They took care of a problem. And, you know, the organization in that situation doesn't necessarily have to bear all of the responsibility of an individual because you can look at it and say, hey, they didn't know and they did something about it. When they do know and their version of doing something about it is paying people off, making sure that nobody can say anything about it, not being transparent in the investigation then or now, not giving anybody any details, they lose, as I say this all the time to you, they lose benefit of the doubt. And without Mm -hmm. that, now you have to look at it and say, okay, you went from, hey, we found a problem and we're taking care of it to we've created part of this problem. We allow this culture to exist and we allow this culture to continue by not doing anything about it loudly in a way that people see that this will not be tolerated under our watch. Like that's such a different message and the Cowboys could have been on the right side of it. And we're not talking about something that happened 30 years ago that they're trying to get to the right side of. We're talking about something that mm-hmm. happened in 2015. That That's recent enough that I look at it and even that makes me want to hold the Cowboys to a higher standard. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Yeah, they knew about it. And according to Don Van Atta, who was the lead reporter on this story, Jerry Jones knew about it from the beginning. The team, it was reported from the beginning, according to his reporting. That very night that it happened, the cheerleaders told someone and could, you know, had the decision of whether they would go straight to police or otherwise. The night of the upskirt photos, a fan was literally on social media posting and saying, did anyone see this and sharing the information and had a screen grab of it. Um... Also, Michelle Steele pointed out something while we were on the air here. Don Van Atta was on SportsCenter, and he said that the Cowboys do have evidence that they, that they say exonerates Dalrymple, but they haven't shared it publicly. So what I would ask is, did they offer to share this evidence with Don Van Atta or any other reporters on background? If there's some issue of privacy or otherwise that you don't want to share publicly or release that evidence, you could at least show it to reporters to inform their reporting. So this claim that they have evidence that exonerates him means absolutely nothing without proof, especially when they elected to pay these women off and force them to sign NDAs. And Don Van Atta was on an earlier sports center talking about uh, the, the, the cowboy side of it. There is no doubt that a cheerleader clearly saw Rich Dalrymple crouched in their dressing room while the cheerleaders were undressing with his iPhone pointed at them. That is what she reported to HR. Now, Dalrymple says he was only in there for a few seconds using a security key card to gain access to that locked dressing room and left within moments. The truth might be somewhere in between. The Cowboys actually have data that they did not provide to us. Uh, A team representative said they decided to settle this for $2.4 million because they know that the cheerleaders in their heart believe that Dalrymple was in there spying on them. And so they wanted to settle it for the cheerleaders. 
I got to ask you, Sarah, because I, I never hide the fact I'm not a journalist. Would it be normal for a team to go in and say, hey, you can't share this, but I want you to have this for context? Uh, they certainly could. They certainly would be able to meet in person to share or show off whether it was a video or photo or something else. Um, but, it, you know, again, if their argument is simply that we felt bad for the cheerleader, that they felt that this was what happened, so this is how we handled it, that doesn't fly with me. It doesn't sound realistic. That's great insight. Uh, all right, we're going to keep the insight coming, but this time around the U.S. women's hockey team going for gold in Beijing. We'll ask a former Olympian to preview the game next. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We will continue to take your suggestions as to why Canada sucks ahead of tonight's U.S.-Canada gold medal match, women's hockey. It's going to be 11.10 p.m. Eastern start. You can cheer on the team. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Super pumped to have four-time Olympian, four-time medal winner, including gold in 98, USA Hockey Hall of Famer, IIHF Hall of Famer. Also go check out her work with the Sports Innovation Lab and the groundbreaking Fan Project 2. It's Angela Ruggiero joining us now from China. Angela, what's up? Hey! The nerves, the me. nerves. Yeah, the nerves are getting to me already. We're hours away, and I'm already freaking out. We know that the U.S. got gold in Pyeongchang four years ago. Canada now wanting to avenge that loss. They had four straight Olympic titles leading up to that, and they have simply demolished the competition thus far. What have you seen from Canada en route to this gold medal match? Canada has just been prolific on... Uh, scoring. They've, everyone on their team has contributed to the scoring sheet. Uh, they, they, they've come out guns a-blazing. Um, just, they're just a really aggressive team, apply a lot of pressure down low, and put lots of points up. So they are definitely, they're undefeated so far. A big, a big, big matchup tonight. A big, a big opponent for Team USA, no, no doubt about that. So for those of us who were just enthralled by the last time these two met in Pyeongchang, just one of the greatest sporting events of any kind I've ever watched, how similar are these two teams to the ones that met four years ago? Yeah, so the roster, uh, there's 13 players returning from both teams that actually competed in Pyeongchang against one another. Um, Most of the, you know, there's other players that have played against each other world. So, you know, three quarters of the roster knows each other the majority played against each other in the world but um so the roster changes a bit but you you get that heated rivalry just passed down generationally uh and 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 again a lot of these veteran two second third fourth olympics they see each other year after year and it's it's always a battle sarah that seven of the last nine finals with usa and canada in them have gone into overtime including the last four (laughs) the last four times these teams have played They've had a battle out in overtime. So the game starts in the U.S. here at 11 p.m. Expect to be up. It's going to be a one-goal game, uh, an overtime game. Uh, it doesn't go into shootout, though. They changed the rules. So this yeah. time around, yeah, they're going to have to play through the end. I saw that. We could be up forever. There is no shootout. The rules have changed since 2018 once we saw the incredible Oops, I Did It Again, Lamaru gold medal winning shootout goal. They have three-on-three 20-minute overtime periods for however long it takes. Does I, I know you're not playing anymore, but does that still make your legs hurt? And my lungs hurt, man. That's, Just thinking about <laughs> that's it. a lot. Yeah. You're going, I mean, I loved, I loved overtime. It was a battle of, 
you know, stamina. But because there's no shootout, we typically would, when I played, it was 20 minutes of overtime and then the shootout. So this is a big, this is a big changer. Not only is it overtime or you're tired, but three on three is really exhausting. Mm. You're one of the three that get the tap. Uh, they don't change it. I mean, it's still 200 feet long by 100 feet wide. It's a big ice surface. And you're, um, yeah, you're, you got to play every shift because if you don't, there's an odd man rush leading to a scoring chance and, you know, the game could end. So it's fast paced. I mean, people love the three and three, four and four. There's a lot more time and space to create goals. And I think that's one of the reasons the IHF took away the shootout. Um, I've both lost in a shootout and won in a shootout. And it's great to win, but it really sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're talking to Angela Ruggiero, four-time Olympian, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer, ahead of tonight's gold medal match between the U.S. and Canada. And, you know, I, I saw this quote from Natalie Spooner about playing the American team. Canadian Natalie Spooner said, Every time we go against them, we want to make a statement and show them that they don't belong on the ice with us. Now, I've heard a lot about this rivalry, but dang, don't belong on yeah. the ice with... I mean, these teams, I know it's a cliche, but they flat out don't like each other. Like, this is yeah. legit. But then, but then there's also, like, plenty of marriages between players from... I wish there was a documentary just on American and hockey uh, uh, rivalries ending in marriages, because there's that element to it, too. Like, there's, they hate each other, and then there's a lot of friendships and dating. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, you go to school with, with a lot of these players now in the NCAA where you overlap, you play with, then you go play against. I mean, I played uh, with and against Jen Bottrell when I was at Harvard. So you get to know a lot of the players um, in the NCAA. Then the, the interesting thing is the PW, the PWHPA, the new like Players Association that was formed, th- these two teams have really come together. And there's a lot of friendships being formed just through that fight for more gender equality, more support for the women's game. Yes, there's there's dating occasionally, and has some have ended in marriages and now babies. Um, but there are athletes that literally we've heard won't get in the elevator with the other, you know, the opposition. They they don't. That's my style. They, That's more my style. You know, when you, yeah, the puck drops. You you want to like you want to battle. I mean, yeah. the U.S. has won nine of the last worlds. Canada has uh, the upper hand when it comes to the Olympics. They've won. Uh, they've won, you know, six. So there's a, or excuse me. Yeah, they've won six. Uh, sorry, five. And the U.S. has won two. So there's like a, okay, Canada kind of has the edge in the Olympics. We have the edge recently in the world. We don't like each other. Then we're on the same team. I always say, you know, we're, we're, we're on the same team when it comes to elevating women, women's hockey, hockey in general. But yeah, tonight is a freaking, it's going to be a battle. I love it. I love it. It's the best rivalry, I think, in all the sports. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, Angela Ruggiero, who knows a whole lot about this, uh, after winning gold in 98, the U.S. took gold four years ago, Canada trying to take it back tonight. 11.10 p.m. Eastern is the puck drop for the gold medal match. I want to talk to you about when they met earlier at this Olympics, because a lot of people talked about the U.S. having so many more shots on goal, so many more chances, but the quality of chances was not equal. And I think that's something that experts like you need to teach the rest of us. When we look at the box score, what do we actually see in that game in terms of, of, of what did, was the U.S. as dominant as those numbers made it look, or was it more about just being more aggressive with taking shots even if they weren't good shots? Yeah, so U.S. won four, uh, excuse me, Canada won four to two. They had three goals in a burst within like five minutes, three goals in the second period. Um, but the U.S. outshot Canada two to one. The U.S. had a game high, never 
no man, men's or women's team have ever had this many shots on Team Canada. 53. So 53 shots mm. on net to their 27. We outshot them 2-1. to one. Now, we didn't win the game, though. U.S. didn't deliver. Uh, so to your point, a lot of them came from the perimeter. They weren't uh, gr- uh, unbelievable goaltending and Davian and the, the Canadian netminder. She's going to yeah. get that first shot. So you have to score on the second shot. You have to move the goal. You have to get the garbage goals. You got to grind. I think there's um, there's there's something that Team USA has to do tonight, which is yeah, get that first shot on net, but like get the rebound, go hard, move the goalie in front of the net, and so you might you don't need 53 shots. You need quality shots that go in. So I think right. that's definitely something that Joel Johnson, the coach, is going to be looking at. Like yes, you can pepper them with quality, but we want uh, or qu- quantity. We want quality. They've only scored. Did the math? Um, a little under eight percent of their shots are going in the goal, uh, so they need to beef up the, the the quality, I guess, percentage. Absolutely, Angela Dura with me here, Sarah Spain, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio ahead of the gold medal match, USA Canada. An added pressure for these women is what we know about the effect a gold medal can have on an entire sport, and particularly folks like Kendall Coyne Schofield and Hillary Knight and all of these great players who fight so hard for equality of treatment, for the resources and the investment from the Federation, and for the dedication from communities to the game of hockey and the girls coming up all the way up to the pro leagues that are still trying to get a foothold in the States. How much extra pressure is it for you as a player? And I'm sure you remember this in your time as well to not only win for all the hard work you've done and your teammates have done, but understand the effect that that could have on the next generation. Yeah. Great question. Um, you, 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 all you have to do is look at the registration levels um, between us and Canada, respectively, whenever the U S has won registration spikes in the U S when Canada wins, Registration spikes in Canada. And so you immediately see young girls saying, Mom, Dad, can I play hockey? I just mm-hmm. saw my hero, a version of myself, a, a woman, winning a, a gold medal. I want to do that. Or at least I want to try to do that. So there's a direct correlation of, uh, of registration. There's also a, look, even if you're a little boy watching, yeah. you, you know, you, you watch someone in your country win a gold medal, you've created a, a very strong role model for that young, young boy on, 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 you know, respective side. So, so there's a societal change that, you know, you're having as an athlete. And I knew that when I came home, when I speak to Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and they look up to you, they they want your autograph. They want to learn all about you. They're, they're curious. And uh, so there's, it's more than yourself. It's more than your team. It's more than your sport. It's the power of the Olympics and that platform. Uh, and I think these players see that they've lived it and they know Look, I'd love to win a gold medal, make an extra, you know, few bucks, uh, obviously cash in if possible. Not all of them are going to make money, but some might make a little. But then the effect that you have on society and your sport is definitely something that these players know and why they're pushing so hard for more, not just like more financial support for them, but more marketing, more visibility, more investment in the infrastructure of the sport. It's huge. It's huge. And to your point, boys look up to them and also boys get used to seeing women and girls playing. And it changes the way that they react to the girls and the women around them in their communities as well. Uh, awesome stuff. I'm so nervous and so excited. 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific tonight, Canada-USA gold medal game. Uh, be watching, be posting, be cheering. Angela, enjoy. And thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it all the way from China. My, my pleasure. Go USA. <laughs> I'm biased. 
I mean, I'm biased too. Let's go. Speaking of bias, we're going to just unnecessarily shred some Canadians coming up next. Spain it fits. We are just over two hours away from the start of the USA-Canada gold medal match, a repeat of four years ago when the U.S. beat Canada in an incredible, unbelievable shootout game. And Fitz, as I just talked to Angela about, the rules have changed. You, uh, you will not be seeing a shootout no matter how this game goes. It will keep going to overtimes until somebody wins. So uh, we were up till the wee hours of the night last time, and we may be up late again. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Fitz, we asked folks uh, to name some of the bad things about Canada. The last time we did this, we did it sarcastically, and we just named things we liked about Canada and pretended they were bad. Uh, the gloves are off this time. Uh, the hockey gloves are off. We asked for actual bad things about Canada, and truth be told, we didn't get a lot of them because Canada's pretty cool, and Canadians are usually pretty nice. Uh, but we are blaming Canada for former Bears head coach Mark Tressman. Oh, Not technically Canadian, but he was in the CFL for so long. Uh, as Angry Bears fan Dadman points out, it made people believe he could coach the Chicago Bears. Actually, you know what? I, I'm going to pile on there. Like, I'm going to blame Canada for uh, Rocket Ishmael. Like, as a kid growing up, he didn't want to play for the Raiders, so he went to the Toronto Argonauts. I spent years having to watch Canadian right. football to yep. watch a guy that eventually came to the NFL. You cost me valuable years, CFL, playing Canada. Uh, Nikki, uh, sorry, Vicky Lovato, uh, also reminded us Nickelback. Uh, I'm not usually one to dog other people's musical tastes, but when it comes to dog in Canada for bringing us Nickelback, I'm, I'm happy to agree that I, I'm, I'm here to, to, to take out the Nickelback fans at the knees. Yeah. The, the Nickelback thing, by the way, very confusing because everybody tells me that they hate Nickelback, but then everywhere they play, they sell out. It's a little like Imagine Dragons. Like people always right. want to make fun of Imagine Dragons. You can't get a ticket. Or like, Coldplay. What, or Coldplay, yeah. who I actually love Coldplay, and so many people make fun of it, and I'm like, but uh, they're really popular and their songs are good. Nickelback, though, uh, the guy does sound like he is passing a kidney stone or is very stopped up when he sings Photograph, right? Like, yeah, look at this photograph! I don't know how his vocal cords handled that day in a day out. And also, yeah. if we're going to blame them for Nickelback, that's fair, too, because I'd like to think that Nickelback and that lead singer is the only reason that Avril Lavigne never discovered me to fall in love with me, and then I would have Right, had, right, you know, right. Like I forgot that, your but, love of Avril Lavigne, which oh, is only slightly there. behind your love of Selena Gomez? No, no, no. Uh, Avril's top. Like, Avril, Avril oh. all, all the way. Yeah. Avril, call me. Anytime, anywhere. I'll drop You're it. You're just I'll a come skater boy. And Whatever. she said, I'll, see you later, boy. You know what? There, there are no jeans too tight if that's what Avril wants oh, me in. Oh, God. That, that's where we go. Just paint them <laughs> on me, Avril. Fitz, uh, happier than ever that we're in different locations for the show. Um, uh, other people voting uh, for the worst things uh, about Canada. Uh, Michael Flaherty says they come over the Peace Bridge to shop in the malls in Buffalo, and then they litter their old Roots clothing all over the parking lots. Uh, oh, yeah, that's no good. Um Somebody said we should fear the Mounties. Uh, okay. Um, bologna on pizza. I don't know if they're describing Canadian bacon as bologna. It's more of a ham than a bologna, but maybe they also put bologna on pizza up there. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, and that's disgusting. And also, Canadian bacon, just call it what it is. Like, how is it the rest of the world can call it ham and you've got to call it Canadian bacon? Like, I'm out on that, so right. uh, let's, just, let's just call it what it is and, and call it American ham. 
Yeah, agreed. It's American ham. You're putting it on your pizza. You've you've chosen poorly. Uh, you've got pepperoni and sausage and all the other things, and you're going with ham. Uh, I'm not even going to get into Ted Cruz or the Zodiac Killer or them both being the same. I'm just going to go ahead and ignore that. He is Canadian, though. Uh, also, at KPKYEG, uh, said, I was about to say at least we don't have a bunch of lunatics overrunning our capital like the January 6th insurrectionists, but that's not true anymore. Fair. Uh, the whole trucker thing going on in Canada made it a little bit less prideful when the Canadians tried to defend themselves this time than last time. It's, I noticed this shift in the tone from those who maybe would have defended themselves a little bit harder, except for they've got some stuff going on up in America's hat right now. Yeah, I, you know, it's fair to be like, uh, hey, we're going to press pause on the making fun of you until we get our own house in order, but then the minute all things are back in order, we will return. Like, I'm, I'm all in for that. And uh, By the way, I know we mentioned it earlier. I want to mention again, like, Poutine and everything about Poutine has failed, uh, mostly because, as a few people have tweeted me saying that that is wrong uh, i would like to correct you because fries can't handle the gravy that you put on them so right. now what you end up mm-hmm. with is mushy fries and i i, I ordered fries not yep. uh, not mashed potatoes because i don't want a mushy mm-hmm. potato product i want fries and like nobody Fair. ever sat there and said god what mcdonald's fries really need is gravy and cheese curds like no the answer to that is no it, it, it's all failed it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ahead of the USA-Canada gold medal hockey match tonight. We are uh, offering up things that we should be blaming Canada for, things that suck about Canada. Uh, our intrepid producers behind the glass, Sidney Crosby and Brad Marchand, will take it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, those are two guys that do not do not deserve our love. Uh, as Lost in Baltimore City pointed out, their geese are trash. Mm. Um, mm. Canadian geese are very mean. And why are Canadian are... like why are Canadian goose geese? I don't know Canadian geese, geese yeah. jackets like the the like <laughs> why are they so expensive? You mean the understand. brand? Yeah, like, yeah, yes, yeah. But they you, they come out of Canada. Like normalize your prices. Like it's cold up there, which is by far <laughs> the worst thing about Canada. And now you're overcharging for the jackets that'll keep your people warm. What are you doing? Uh, they're very expensive. Uh, Canada in general is very expensive. And also, uh, animal rights activists will tell you that geese and actually coyotes suffer greatly to make those Canada goose coats. So you shouldn't buy them. Coyotes? They're bad for animals. We're back I mean, to this again. Okay, yeah, we're back okay. to this. Fish, we're fine with, but leave leave the geese and the coyotes Just alone. Just going to call Lefty uh, now and ask him and see where we go with <laughs> What are your Lefty feelings jackets. on Canadian geese jackets? Uh, uh, somebody else pointed out, uh, if you're north enough in Canada... Every day you get to play the Are We the Coldest Location on the Planet uh, for three months of the year. Oh, uh, and he, this sorry. particular person, Strathern Sachs, said, worked club door security in minus 40. And yes, it's as horrific as it sounds. Coming from Chicago, I'm not going to be too snooty or snotty about the weather, but there are many, many places in Canada that will always beat out Chicago for miserable weather. We toured in Canada during the Vortex, and I remember one show in a hockey arena. They put the digital thermometer on my fiddles right before showtime, and it was Was nine degrees inside. Nine degrees inside to play a show. What? It was us. Nine degrees inside. My fingers hurt so bad. Did they have heat? Yeah, yeah, but they said the the doors couldn't keep up with it after load-in. It was a disaster. Disaster. Mm, Okay. Well, uh, I think obviously the worst thing about Canada is their women's hockey team. Uh, who will be disappointing an entire country of loyal fans whose only real bragging point uh, over America is hockey. And uh, since the men from Canada lost today, so did the men from the U.S., uh, they've got nothing left to hang their hats on. America's hat has nothing left to hang a hat on. Go USA. Spain and Fitz, thanks for listening.